Hello and welcome to Poetry Blokes, the podcast where one bloke likes poetry and the other doesn't. I'm Matthew Adamo, failed novelist, third-rate poet, and now a beleaguered poetry teacher. And I'm Ridge Gochran, a moderately successful engineer and lifelong lover of things that actually matter, like football, cricket, and the ability to make stuff out of wood. I don't hate poetry, but I do think it's a lot of words in a confusing order to say very little. Join us in this series of podcasts as we rummage into the recesses of Rich's mind, pull forth any literary force that may be lying dormant, and see if the world's most literal man can acquire the soul of a poet. He doesn't even believe in souls, so I've got my work out already. In this episode, we'll be looking at Slough by John Betjeman. Come, friendly bombs, and fall on slough. It isn't fit for humans now. There isn't grass to graze a cow. Swarm over, death. Come, bombs, and blow to smithereens those air-conditioned, bright canteens. Tinned fruit, tinned meat, tinned milk, tinned beans, tinned minds, tinned breath. Mess up the mess, they call a town. A house for 97 down and once a week for half a crown for 20 years. And get that man with double chin who always cheat and always win, who washes his repulsive skin in women's tears. And smash his desk of polished oak, and smash his hands so used to stroke, and stop his boring, dirty joke, and make him yell. But spare the bald young clerks who add the profits of the stinking cad. It's not their fault that they are mad. They've tasted hell. It's not their fault they do not know the bird song from the radio. It's not their fault they often go to Maidenhead and talk of sports and makes of cars in various bogus Tudor bars and daren't look up and see the stars but belch instead. In labour-saving homes, with care their wives frizz out peroxide hair and dry it in synthetic air and paint their nails. Come, friendly bombs, and fall on slough to get it ready for the plough. The cabbages are coming now. The earth exhales. So, Rich, what's that about? Well, Matt, you've finally given me a poem that I enjoyed. (laughs) Well done. I love a rant. (laughs) uh, Those of you who know me well will know I go on them most days. So... To listen to somebody rant so beautifully was a real treat for me. General vibe of the poem. First things first, Matt, yet again, another poem. Yet again, we're talking about death. (laughs) I thought about that as I was suggesting this poem. And I was like, I think you'll like it. I think you'll like the theme. I think you'll like the motif. It's just that every poem we've had so far has been about death. And you're yet to prove to me that every poem isn't about death. It seems to be an element in almost all of them. Everyone who's writing poetry is terrified of death, it would seem. Well, but Betjeman wants death, at least for the residents of Slough. Yeah, here's some of his best mates are bombs. Absolutely. Friendly bombs. Yeah, friendly bombs. Who knew? Who knew such a thing existed? Have you actually have you been to Slough? Um, I've passed through it on the train. Um, yeah, that's, that's one of the reasons that I have frustrated feelings towards Slough, because it's where the train ride begins slow running at Slough, because it's where everything gets congested. If yeah. I'm on the Great Western Railway, you know, heading west, if I hit Slough and it slows down, it's bad news. Similar, um, for, I mean, for all our listeners at home, Matt and I are both residents of the M4 corridor. Mm. 
yeah, you know you've got on the slow train when you when you're stopping at Slough. But that's my own experience, and I always associate with Windsor, which I always think is a nice place. He, I mean, he slags off Maidenhead as well while he's at it. So he does, doesn't he? Which is near, that's near, that's near to you. Yeah. How do you feel about Maidenhead? So my wife used to work there. Oh yeah. Um, traffic's awful. One-way system's a bit of a nightmare. Can't say. I mean, house prices are decent. It's good for people who want to be able to commute to London and afford a home. Lots of people yeah. my age living there. It's boring chat, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so general vibe of the poem, right? It's an angry rant. It's quite funny, I think. It's the first one where there's some humour in there. It's just slagging people off, isn't it, really? Benjamin doesn't really hold back from Slough. He's not happy with Slough. We'll get, no. into, we'll get into why he doesn't quite like Slough. What are some of the qualities that he's ascribing to Slough in this poem? It's got a newness, isn't it? So I'm, I'm guessing Johnny is a traditional man. The uh, Betch. The Betch. Johnny the Betch is a traditional man with traditional values, traditional English values. You know, he thinks everybody should suppress all their emotions. That's the sense I'm getting from John. Is he still around? No, he is indeed dead. But a theme of the poem. <laughs> so that's the vibe I get about John. Yeah, he hates the place, doesn't he? Basically, he thinks it's all fake. He thinks it's all new. He, I mean, he seems really angry at the people who live there as well, which is interesting. I don't know how you can be angry at people who live in a certain place. They might just be there by happenstance. But he's not angry at all of them, is he? Which is interesting. No, no. He's particularly angry about a fat man. <laughs> <laughs> he is, yeah. Who um, <laughs> has an interesting skincare routine. Yes, women's tears. Women's um, tears. Not available on the open market. Yeah, can you get that on, those on Amazon? Probably. Have a look now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure someone's saying it. So, yeah, he's, he's very angry at the fat man and also the fake women. He's not angry at the young. He's letting them off. He's sort of saying, well, they're too thick to know what they're doing. So just don't kill them, bombs. My best mate's the bombs. Yeah. Second stanza. Come bombs and blow to smithereens, those air-conditioned bright canteens. I am absolutely with John on that one. Yeah, okay. I'm assuming that he, like me, suffers from dry eye. Oh, tell us about the dry eye. <laughs> so I wore glasses for three years um, on the advice of an optician, not just of my just, own volition. Just, just for a laugh. Uh, yeah, they were medically prescribed to me. I found that they actually made my vision any better. But it took me three years to act on that. So three years later, I went to the opticians again for another checkup. And she said, why are you wearing these? And I said, because they were prescribed to me. And she said, you don't need glasses. You just have a condition called dry eye. <laughs> for, the, for the benefit of the listener there, dry eye is a condition where you have incredibly dry eyes. <laughs> it's, it does it's what it says on the tin. <laughs> dry eye. And essentially she said I was dehydrated. Interestingly, though, I'm dehydrated, but it appears to only be in my eyeballs. The rest of me seems to be perfectly well hydrated, judging by the amount that I eat. Uh, I, I, wee. <laughs> I imagine you drink a high number of cups of tea a day. Is that is that correct? Yeah, I'd say between eight and ten. That's not right. That can't be right. <laughs> eight to ten cups of tea. It's Why not? There. Yeah, I don't judge your lifestyle. Why are you judging mine? That's because I'm a pinnacle of health. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that is just if anybody see if anybody see me at a buffet you know that's a lie <laughs> 8 to 10 I think is a perfectly reasonable amount I really hope there's a number of international listeners here so they could just see a glimpse into English lifestyle where someone genuinely thinks drinking 8 to 10 cups of tea is normal how do you find the time 
It doesn't take long to, to make a cup of tea. Well, hang on, let me do my schedule. Ready? Yeah. Wake up, 7. 7.30, I'm downstairs. You've guessed it, I'm having a cup of tea. First things first. About an hour later, 8.30. I've started work, I used to work about 8. 8.30. Once I've read the important emails and flagged them and whatnot, I have another cup of tea. And usually have breakfast as well. 10 o'clock, cup of tea. I usually have a call at 10, so I get in, I get in the cup of tea before my call at 10, usually lasts an hour. And then after that call, I have a sort of, oh, what's the word? I want to say commiseratory, but that's not a word. Like, uh, comforting, I have a comforting cup of tea to get over the call. Yeah. Um, so that's usually about 11. And then I think, mate, it's midday, come on, give it a rest. Uh, so you have so a pint, I have a pint with lunch. And then I usually don't really have another one until about two. I have one at two, I have one at four, I have one at six <laughs> when I finish work. So what are we on there? We're probably on seven. Yeah. And I might have a few others knocking around just to take the edge off. Eight to ten. Well, I think that's incredible. I have maybe, if we're including coffee as well, in a day between zero and three. I think I have. Oh, that's not enough, mate. Are you a doctor? No, no, but I'm well, worldwide. I am, and to me, you look like you might have a condition called dry eye. <laughs> well, tea is a diuretic, isn't it? And unfortunately, it's drawing all the water out of my organs. The main organ it's drawing them out of is my eyeballs, and thus. This is my favourite segment of any show we've done so far. Fortunately, dry eye isn't too debilitating. It's, I'd say it's mediumly so, so I have to put in eye drops in the morning and in it's the evening. Not, it's not mediumly disability. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that's too strong? Just drink some water, <laughs> you freak. <laughs> On the scale of being debilitated. I'd like to apologise to anyone listening that might have an, an actual malady or illness that they have to deal with that is slightly more severe than dry eyes. <laughs> Look, everyone's having their own experience of life and... <laughs> I put my hands up and say that my life has been pretty easy. <laughs> but for me, it's a challenge every day, waking up with slightly itchy eyes. Back to the poem. So he's not happy with the canteens and you're not happy with canteens either. I find air-conditioned, brightly lit canteens to be exacerbating for my condition. And so I, I think he shares that. However, he then goes on to talk about tinned fruit, tinned meat, tinned milk, tinned beans. I'm back with him there. I don't necessarily have an issue with anything tinned. I'm not a massive fan of the baked bean. As anyone who knows me knows, I'm a huge fan of pulses in general. So tinned any type of beans is great for me. Love a lentil, a kidney bean. Chickpea? Yeah, I could eat a chickpea, sure. Stick it in a salad. Just the one. Crunch. Crunch as a garnish. (laughs) He then he goes on to talk about house prices, which I think is interesting. I mean, he would be absolutely appalled. Oh, yes. I I did some research on this, actually. Mm, Yeah. While you pull up your details, just to remind everybody, a house for 97 down and once a week, a half a crown for 20 years. Who's getting a 20-year mortgage these days? Not me. Yeah. Who's having a 97 down payment? So just to clarify that phrase, a house for 97 down means putting down a deposit of 97 pounds. This poem was written in 1937. So 97 pounds in 1937 today would be roughly equivalent to 6,500 pounds. So he's saying for a family home, you basically put down six and a half thousand pounds. Whereas we know now it's probably three times that figure. We just paused for a moment there to think about your own house, didn't you? That's what happened. 
Well, uh, yeah, I've actually been I've been thinking about mortgages today, so yeah, this is just this is very topical for me. It's a bad time for it. Got a renewal coming up. Oh. Got to think about these things. Crikey. Let's move on quickly. Anywho, he now gets into his hatred of the fat man. Mm. I'll be honest, you know how sometimes I, I get fixated on bits of poems that I shouldn't? Mm, yes. Well, it was at the desk. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's one, yeah, it one of the bits that I got for it. So first thing he says is, get, and get that man with double chin who'll always cheat and always win. And then he goes on to say, who washes his repulsive skin in women's tears? And I thought, huh, I didn't know Harvey Weinstein lived in Slough. He doesn't. It's <laughs> in prison. Dirty scoundrel. But I did get a bit fixated on the fat man and why he hated him. He doesn't really go into why he he finds him repulsive. He, he thinks this this individual is repulsive, and he, this person's cheated him in some way, or cheated somebody in some way. So he's always winning. So he's annoyed at this guy. Doesn't really say why he's annoyed at him, other than he's cheating. Yeah, I think it's just a general corruption. He's representative of some sort of... Like a fat feeling. cat. Yeah, fat cat, exactly, yeah. Yes, yeah. But then I don't agree with his course of action. I strongly disagree with his course of action. All right. So his course of action is to smash up his lovely polished oak desk. Is that's playing no part in this corruption. The, the polished oak desk is an innocent bystander in all of this. And somebody spent time and a lot of skill crafting that desk. If it's polished oak, right... That is hard on your tools, right? That takes the edge off a chisel quicker than you can say. Where's my edge gone? Where's my edge? <laughs> Got a blunt effing chisel here. So whoever's been building that desk has spent a lot of time doing so. And I don't agree that you should just go around smashing up people's desks. Like have have respect for the craft. Have respect for the craftsman and leave the desk well alone. But then he goes even further. He wants to smash his hands up. Mm. This, and smash his desk of polished oak and smash his hands so he used to stroke. Stroke what? That's not clear to me. What's he stroking? Wow. No. I don't want to go any further, him, particularly him, since you framed this with a reference to Weinstein. Himself or others. The desk? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it could be the desk, I suppose. I'm, I'm picking the desk because I'm scared of the other line, <laughs> line of inquiry. Well, yeah. Okay. We're, we're going to veer away from that, are we? All right. Fine. And stop his boring, dirty jokes. He's making dirty Wait, jokes. Did you have something about him stroking himself? I assumed he was having a wank under the desk. Okay. <laughs> Is he doing that during the dirty joke? or? I know, I imagine he tells the joke afterwards. I had thought that he was sitting in his office. He's cheated somebody and won. He's just washed himself down with the tears of some local women. And he's in his office and he's thinking, oh God, what a successful day. I've absolutely smashed today uh you know what treat myself i'll have a little i'll have a little stroke and he's done that under his polished oak desk and upon successful completion of his task he's then thought we'll pop out and tell a wonderful joke i don't know about what about it's a boring dirty joke thing but then he, he yells boring. what's yeah. he yelling about and make him yell it's the bombs Benjamin wants to do oh, all, yeah. wants the bombs to do all of these things break his hands and make him yell it's very easy to forget that, isn't it? Because he mentions the bombs in the first, at the beginning and then sort of doesn't mention them again until the end. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, that went out of my mind. What's clear is that John wants to punish Harvey. <laughs> can, we, can we say that? <laughs> um, <laughs> sure. Why not? What's clear is that John wants to punish this man with, dub- with double chin um, and he wants to do that by bombing his hands. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, yeah. 
and destroying his desk. But yeah. he doesn't want to bomb. Who doesn't he want to bomb? The young clerks. He does not want to bomb the young clerks. It implies that these these clerks work for this this man, but spare the bald young clerks who add the profits of the stinking cad. So they're working for the man, quite literally, mm. as lots of us do. I'm pleased that he is willing to let me live. Yeah, we're big fans of the man, and if the man would like to advertise on our show, get in touch with us. <laughs> I could not be a bigger fan of the man. <laughs> Absolutely love him. He's got the money, isn't he? So you need to suck up to him. But he's accusing them of being mad. Johnny the Betch is an artist. Yeah. Do poets consider themselves artists? Uh, I'm sure someone's having a debate on that subject. But yeah, I mean, they're definitely creative, aren't they? Definitely an art form. Sure. All right. Yeah. Has he worked, has he worked a day in his life? Do you have much background on him? I've got a bit of background on him. His father wanted him to carry on the family business, which was in uh, the furniture trade. But John, he wanted to be a literary figure. Oh, so maybe he's not actually angry at the fat man. Maybe he's actually angry at the desk. <laughs> yeah. It's some the sort de- of like, Harvard it's the resentment. desk all along. Some resentment towards his father. Yeah, he absolutely hates desks. Any wooden furniture he finds utterly uh, abhorrent. H- hates desks but loves clerks, but also makes fun of them for being stupid, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And he says they've tasted hell. So he is saying that 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 way of life would be hell for him. Yes. He doesn't want to be part of the rat race. He doesn't want to fight his way to the to the top of the Clark League. He doesn't want to be a fat cat. He thinks it's all horrible. So basically he hates sort of hates industry, doesn't he? Is that a fair thing to say? I think yeah, I think he was very um upset about what at the time was modernisation, I suppose, and Slough was like a new town, wasn't it? So like lots of new factories and recognised workplace or industry. And he wasn't too happy about that. And it, it was all a bit, you know, production line and, you know, the tinned. Uh, he makes reference to, to things being in tins as a sort of like everything's packaged up neatly, and but you don't have to think about anything and that's bad. One thing I did want to point out, because I think it's an easy thing to misread, is in the next stanza just after they've tasted hell, he says, it's not their fault that they do not know the bird song from the radio. It's easy to think that he is saying that the bird song is on the radio. But I think what he is saying here is that it's not their fault they can't differentiate between real bird song and the sounds of birds on the radio. Now, I know that I often misinterpret poems evidenced by the previous four podcasts. I did actually get that one. That is real progress. Thank you. Made me think of all the birds I've been hearing in lockdown. Did you know they weren't on the radio when you heard them? <laughs> yeah, I assumed uh, my wife had turned the radio on. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> Lost in confusion in the kitchen. <laughs> Where are these, where's this radio? No, I mean, just the birds have been more audible since lockdown. For anybody li- listening to this a million years in the future, the year is 2020 and we are living through the lockdown due to coronavirus. Those living in the now, I apologise for bringing this up and talking about it. But sometimes, you know, it's culturally relevant. And in this case, birdsong. So it's not their fault they do not know the birdsong from the radio. It's not their fault they often go to Maidenhead. So that's very slags off Maidenhead. I mean, Maidenhead's a similar town to Slough, isn't it, really? Yeah. Um, got a nicer name. It does, yeah. Uh, also, the constituency of former Prime Minister Theresa May. Does that make it better or worse? I'm not going to know my political colours to the mast, but worse. <laughs> <laughs> And talk of sports and makes of cars in various bogus Tudor bars. Are there many? 
bogus Tudor bars in the Slough Maidenhead area. I'm not. I don't know. Never drunk there. Never drunk there. However, this is where John and I depart from our agreement. I love talking about sport. I talk about it every day, and I will talk about basically any sports, but mainly football and cricket. Makes of cars. I don't know. I'm not a big car guy. I'm not a grease monkey. I find discussion about cars to be incredibly boring. Do you? Uh, yeah. Talking about road bikes, however, way more interesting for me. But cars, kind of dull. Mm. Kind of dull. No, I think there's some things we're talking about. I think what he's getting at is maybe the sort of conversations around which look the best or which go the fastest. Which I mean, is a bit boring. I know, but that's people's interests. You have to respect that people have different interests, don't you? Just because he probably likes, I don't know. I'm guessing he likes fishing. Why? Because in my mind's eye, John is clad in tweed. And he's a solitary type. I don't know anything about him, but I, I'm guessing from his name, Betjeman, that he's northern. Probably, I'm going to guess Yorkshire. Matt's just leant forward in his chair and I can see him googling frantically I've always assumed that Benjamin was actually a Dutch surname that's been anglicised but I realised that I haven't really checked whether that's actually the case I feel like J.E. is like a diminutive in Dutch like Betje would be like a, I don't know small animal or something it could be completely old fashioned English where's he from come on put out of misery he studied in London and then he went to Marlborough College so oh he's a Londoner yeah. Oh, my perception of him is very wrong. I had him in, as I said, tweed clad, country living from up north. The whole thing in my head was done in a in a northerner's accent. And there was no reason for any of that, really. He also slags off bogus Tudor bars. But I, I've got no issue with mock Tudor, personally. I think a bar looks nice when it's oldie-worldie looking, nice wood. No issues there. Is that like the one in Brighton we used to go to? King and Queen in Brighton. Oh, King and Queen, yeah, of course, King and Queen. Only, only go there to watch football. <laughs> That's my only advice. I'd stay away from it all the times. Did you ever go there drinking just generally, casually, without watching sport? Uh, yeah, to play pool. Three, no, four pool tables, didn't they? This is not interesting for people who weren't there. Well, you don't know. Maybe, maybe people are in Brighton. Maybe they're thinking of going to Brighton. And I would say if you're in the Brighton area and you want to watch a football match, Premier League game, maybe go to the King and Queen. It's not too bad. Advertise with us to reach an audience who love to laugh are obviously very cool and sophisticated and have immaculate taste. I mean, they're here listening to this gold, right? Go to poetryblokes.com forward slash advertising to advertise with us today. Uh, Benjamin, by the way, I, I had, I've just uh, done some research on this. It actually comes from the Roman name Benedictus, which is interesting. Ooh. But it doesn't say where Benjamin actually comes from or whether Benjamin is an anglicised version or not. So, jury's still out. Okay, so we don't know where he's from, but based on my assumption that he was... Everything I assumed about him was incorrect, but that not uncommon when I'm reading poetry. He basically doesn't like modern things, does he? He doesn't like sport, doesn't like cars. I mean, I say modern things. This is, what, 1937? Yes. So, don't know where I'm going with that. And then look up and see the stars and belch instead. So, rather burp than... Yeah, they're uncouth. That's what he's saying. They're uncouth and unsophisticated and common. Yeah, and uh, so I was thinking, well, he's very judgmental. He is making very sweeping statements about the people of Slough, being very disparaging about their life choices. 
I'm assuming that he didn't live in Slough. I'm assuming he lived somewhere else. Yeah, he did not live in Slough, no. So what's the, what's his problem, basically? I mean, to follow my, my arc of emotions here, I started out loving it and thinking, this is a great rant. I really enjoyed it. And by the end, I do sort of think, cheer up, mate. You don't have to go to Slough. You just, just don't go there. It'll be fine. What's the problem? Just drive around it. Drive around it. M4. He probably didn't like the M4. Was the M4 there in 1937? I don't know. They seem to still be building it, as far as I can tell. <laughs> this is dull. That's a little uh, M4 corridor joke. For everybody M4, lives, M4 conversation. Everybody lives on the M4 corridor. The awful works are going on. Uh, I'm intrigued by the line, in labour-saving homes. Because so I think thinking, life should be hard work. Well, yeah. I, I guess the implication there is that these in these homes... They're modern homes. They're modernised homes in some way. When did like the washing machine and things like that become mass produced? Is that what he's getting at? The sort of mod cons, the modern conveniences. I guess houses? so. He doesn't like them, or no, he'd hate a microwave, wouldn't he? Absolutely hate it. Yeah, he would actually. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I was a bit iffy on them at the, at the beginning. Suspicious. suspicious. Didn't own one. Just didn't own one from you for years. It wasn't until I went to university that I used one. They're amazing, though. I'm all over them now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a microwaving a potato. Versus baking a potato. I mean, I want a potato within five to ten minutes. I'm putting that out there. John wouldn't like you. He'd say, put in the grass, son. Get the oven on. <laughs> Six hours later, have you yourself a lovely potato. <laughs> pull out your hoe. Hoe up those potatoes that you're growing. <laughs> Wash it in women's tears. Wash it in women's tears. Uh, and don't touch the desk. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember the last time I had a baked potato. I probably wouldn't have one unless... I was having lunch in a pub somewhere because I can't be asked. Maybe in Maidenhead. No, I probably wouldn't go to Maidenhead for, for the pub. Oh, look look who's got airs and graces now. Too good for Maidenhead. No, not at all. It's just too far away. It's very close to you, isn't it? Let's not give away where I live. <laughs> well, of course, swarms of fans come looking for me. Come running down the M4. <laughs> <laughs> we do not encourage that sort of behaviour. I'd say I'm an infrequent potato eater, full stop. I just want to leave that there. That's an amazing <laughs> quote. I'm an infrequent potato eater. This is one of my favourite stanzas as well, because as anyone who watched TV in the early 2000s knows, The Office was set in Slough, and cringeworthy manager David Brent reads this poem. And it's one of my favourite bits, because he reads out this bit and says, In labour-saving homes with care, their wives frizz out peroxide hair and dry synthetic air and paint their nails. What, doesn't he like girls? <laughs> <laughs> He's definitely slagging off the women here as well. I mean, earlier on, he was sort of almost on their side saying, you know, we should definitely bomb this cat who's washing himself in women's tears. Yeah, bomb um, his hands clean off so he can't get those grubby little off. mitts on tears anymore. Or the desk. Keep off the desk. But here he is just saying, actually, these women are peroxiding their hair and painting their nails, drying their nails. And doesn't sound good, does it? Doesn't sound positive the way he's saying it. No. And then actually, he's so annoyed, he just tees up the final stanza and says, come. Friendly bombs and fall on slough to get it ready for the plough. There's definitely no redeeming features there. I mean, he's pro-cabbage. He wants the cabbages to take over. He thinks there's too much housing for human beings and that really the cabbages should be given more space to enjoy a full and fruitful life. Insurrection of the cabbages. <laughs> That's better word as pro-cabbage revolt. The final line is very an odd one, I think. The earth exhales. I think it gives the implication that the earth it would be beneficial for the earth to exhale it's like a release to exhale in some way and i don't know like blow all these people blow them away 
get all about and start again. Yeah, it's a weird one, isn't it? The Earth exhales. I would have thought places like Slough are suffocating planet Earth, but I would have thought an inhale would be more beneficial, getting the oxygen in. The exhale implies that it's got air inside it that it can't let out. It's almost like it's holding its breath to wait for these people to leave. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Maybe it's holding its breath out of rage, rage that, at the population of Slough. Is that a course of action you take whenever you're angry you hold your breath? No, I'm pro rants. I'm pro rants. Quite short, sharp, intense rant. Three to five minutes, I favour. And then it's just all gone. It's just all out there. And I go back about my day. Love a little soapbox. Get up on it. I mean, I feel upset for anyone at the at the bus stop that has to listen to me while I go on that rant. But, you know. It's their fault for being there, isn't it? They don't like <laughs> yeah. it. They go to the next bus stop. That's the modern way of life. Maybe we should do that. Maybe we should just walk around various cities and just start conversations with people that start, start with. Do you know what I hate? And then uh, begin a five-minute rant on things and just film people's responses. Well, that makes me think of um, poem number two. Oh, how did that start? It's now God be thanked who has matched us with this hour. Yeah, I just remember like people ranting, basically. It made me think of him. <laughs> Old Rupert Brooke ranting about peace. He bloody hates peace. Yeah, well, as discussed. Yeah, if you could... aren't listening in order, go back and listen to it. Episode two, out now. Yeah, because he has a right old moan, doesn't he? Well, no, he doesn't, actually. He's oh, I've forgotten everything about it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Do you want to hear about John Betjeman? Uh, yeah, go on, then. He was born on the 28th of August, 1906, into a fairly affluent family. And he was actually taught by T.S. Eliot while um, he lived in London, who was um, also a very... Noted and fated poet. Uh, but then he went off to Marlborough College, which is just down the road from uh, where I went to secondary school. I went to school in a much worse establishment. And then he went to Magdalen College, Oxford. As I said previously, his dad very much wanted him to continue the family tradition of being in the furniture biz. But John Betch said, I'm not into tables and chairs. Uh, I want to write some poems. This actually caused some friction between him and his father. It never really recovered. His father was a bit gutted that John didn't want to follow in his footsteps. I mean, who's going to run the business now? Well, there you go. If Absolutely. only if only you were around, you would have bitten his arm off. Absolutely would have. Nevertheless, John the Betch wrote several volumes of poetry throughout his life. And I think you might like this. He wrote many guidebooks to various counties of England. Cause he was... Oh, yeah, he's winning me over there. That sounds nice. Yeah, yeah exactly. He's such a big fan of the countryside in England. As we see in Slough, his, a lot of his poetry focused on the everyday qualities of life and he liked to hark back to sort of peaceful and settled times. And also, if you remember, this this poem, for example, came out in 1937. They, those are the interwar years. So very much, I think, in the psychology of people to probably valorize settled, peaceful life after the horrors of the First World War. So that's very much what he does. Um, Is he? He's talking about bombing people's hands off. Well, he is in Slough, yeah, but he's, he wants to bomb Slough because he's pro old school countryside, isn't he? He's not happy with the modernization of Slough. And the factories and the tins. He wants it to be old uh, you know, milk churns and styles. <laughs> Both lovely, understandable, but people have got to live somewhere and stuff has got to be built. Exactly. Can't hold back progress, bitch. Especially with the rise of fascism in Europe. You've got to keep on your toes. <laughs> Sadly, John the Betch never received credit, really, from the literary circle. Uh, commensurate to his popularity, mainly, I guess, because a lot of his poems were a bit folksy and a bit funny. So obviously, these highbrow. Uh, English literary types looked down on that because it wasn't uh, stuffy enough for them. But he did become Poet Laureate, so that's quite yeah. good. He was Poet Laureate from 1972 until his death in 1984. I suppose he had a top job, didn't it, really? Yeah. Poetry-wise. 
can't really argue with that. Take that literary establishment. One in the eye of the literary establishment. Crikey, don't they need it? <laughs> and on that note of sticking it to the literary circle, Rich, have you got your engineer's summary of this poem? Yeah, go on then. Please. As, as is you. Slough by Richard Cochran. This is essentially a bomb threat. I'm going to bomb you, Slough. I absolutely hate you and everyone who lives there. It's a hole. I'm pro-cabbage. The end. <laughs> Richard Gochrid, pro-agriculture, anti-tin. <laughs> Those aren't my words. That's just a summary of the words of John Benjamin. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Um, how do you feel about Slough? Again, now that we've gone through it, has it changed? Changed your mind at all? You still feel pretty comfortable with it? Uh, the place or the poem? Uh, both. Place. Never had a problem with it. It's fine by me. Name-wise, you're asking for trouble. Uh, although they did try and change it to Slough on Thames, and that drew much derision and laughter from the rest of the country. So, you know, they can't win, can they? Poor Sloughers. Sloughers? Slougharians? Yeah. Sloughs? Sloughs. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, that. my my feelings about Slough the Place remain unchanged, but broadly positive. Poem, enjoyable. Of all the ones you've given me so far, there's a lot of rhyming, and all the rhyming words are very close together, so I enjoyed that. Yep. So it had, it had like a nice cadence, didn't it? It's like... Good oh, words. Oh, is that a... Yeah, we like that. Oh, good. Like a little jaunty canter on a pony. Have I learned anything? Do I know anything more about the world after reading this poem? Nah. I know how much a down payment on a house was in 1937. That's that's uh, what I've learned. Fair enough. That's the only real bit of information in there. Yeah. Nothing else. There's nothing else of use to anybody. You couldn't take that and, you know, do anything with it. <laughs> <laughs> Is it fair to say that you started at the beginning of this poem, you were neutral, and at the end of this poem, you were also neutral? That is... A very uh, astute observation. It's not changed my life in any way, shape or form. I probably read this one. I made the fewest notes on this poem of all of the poems I've read. I found it less dense. I think because it was a bit jaunty, the reading of it was quite easy. I didn't really scoot over any bits. I did read the whole thing. Bravo. That's the, that's the first time you've done that. It is the first time I've done that. Yeah, there's no boring bits. So, yeah, you know, there's some positives, there's some negatives. Ultimately, life goes on. Beautiful sentiments there from Rich. Thank you very much, Rich, for going through this poem. Uh, I think we'll bring the episode to a close there. Join us next week as we look at Morning Song by Sylvia Plath. You'll like that, won't you? (laughs) Do you have a well-known poem you'd like us to discuss? Or maybe you've written your own engineer's overview you'd like to share. And if you have an embarrassing poetry-related story, then you definitely have to tell us all about that. Go to poetryblokes.com forward slash submissions now to let us know and you could play a part in the next show. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram to see and hear more poetry ramblings. Subscribe to the show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts to make sure you never miss out. This podcast is created and hosted by Matthew Adamo and Richard Gochran. Our theme music is Press Start by The Laszlo Project. Buy their music by going to bandcamp.com and searching The Laszlo Project. Our producer is Dominic Gore.